Whenever my world falls apart I never lose hope or lose heart Whatever the form of the storm that may brew Not with you to lean on, darlings, you Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is a podcast co- uh, host of the Flophouse podcast of the Till Death Do Us Party podcast and is the proprietor of Hinterlands Bar in Brooklyn. It's Stuart Wellington, everybody. Hey, hey. <laughs> that's my cue. Hey, that's my yeah, that's my bamboo frick. Uh, yeah. Hey, how you doing? Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, Good. Thanks for, this thanks is, for coming. Uh, very excited. Uh, you also miss Minnie's Bar as well. I own two bars. Oh, in Brooklyn, so. oh yes, I'm Minnie's Bar. Okay, man. Yes, that's it's, right. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're a man of many parts there in the in the. I'm just giving. Yeah, I'm giving people. I'm giving people many opportunities to give me money in some way or another. <laughs> well, that's the secret, I think, to have as many opportunities as possible. Yeah, uh, especially when you're also a professional podcaster, and those mon- those monies are few mm-hmm. and far between. Uh, but yes, we will. I w- I'm eager to talk to you about uh, all your your careers and your podcasting and and uh, promote a little flop TV along the way. But first of all, you're here to talk about them by King Diamond. <laughs> This is a little different for those of you listening at home who just heard a clip from them by King Diamond and may have sensed the difference. Cool. Uh, so when you and I were going back and forth on what to talk about on this on this show, Damacoy put us uh-huh. in touch and you you threw out this idea of doing concept heavy metal concept albums, which very much excited me because it's very different from the kind of stuff uh-huh. we usually talk about, but still in the same sort of vein. So I do want to talk about heavy metal kind of in general because I don't know a ton about it. But I will ask first, how did them by King Diamond come into your life? Uh, well, as uh, well, first off, so my my co-hosts, uh, Dan and Elliot, are both uh I think they both have a bigger like musical theater background than me. I know that Dan at least was a theater major. He was actually a double major uh, theater in English, uh, but you know, whatever. Uh, sure. The theater major part, I think overwhelms everything else. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so uh, I've only, it's only been in like kind of recent years that I've started going to much theater and I feel like I am much less of an expert in it than I am anything else. Uh, but I, uh, yeah, like around when I turned 30, I started listening to a lot of heavy metal. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I feel like I, uh, heavy metal has had been a thing that like growing up, I don't think I like looked like a heavy metal kid and I didn't like, I don't know, like it was kind of intimidating. And so mm. I always like, I, I liked heavier music, but I, I would kind of shy away from straight like heavy metal stuff. And it wasn't until my 30s when, uh, you know, iPods became readily were like readily available and easy to use. And I was going to the gym that I'm like, oh, yeah, I like this stuff. Thanks, Pandora. Uh, and I started, you know, doing 
like I do with everything, started doing like deep dives and going down rabbit holes. And relatively early on, I, uh, you know, I'd, I'd heard some Merciful Fate songs, uh, which is the King Diamond band that preceded uh, his solo band, his solo band, even though his solo band is basically like Merciful Fate with like two guys different. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's way more horror themed and more, not even more horror themed, but more like concept album for it. Um, but uh, yeah, I picked up a, there's a good collection of the Roadrunner albums that King Diamond put out uh, under the record label Roadrunner. Um, and of those, I mean, Abigail, Abigail is like the stone cold classic, but them is the one that I'm like, what's up with this spooky house? What's up with uh, like, it's a song. It's a ba- uh, album that basically the first line is grandma. And I'm like, Oh, tell me more. <laughs> tell me more scary album talking about grandmas. Uh, and yeah, I just like it. I like it a lot. And, uh, I feel like as like Abigail undisputed classic, it's amazing, but I feel like them, uh, them just has like a special place in my heart it's it is a real like very the story is very clear i was very the, my my sort of worry going into this was being like is this a concept album in the way that i mean it's a bad example but like sergeant pepper is a concept album or is it a concept mm-hmm. album like tommy is a concept album it's much more it's even a clearer story i think than tommy in some ways because yes. nobody randomly starts oh, yes. playing pinball at, at any point mm-hmm. uh it, it just sort of it has it's very much like this kid goes to the i mean i guess it, the kid goes to his grandmother's house who just got out of the asylum am i am i reading that correctly? yes so it so his uh his grandma returns home from an asylum to their family home uh and the grandma uh the grandma there's something up with her and it, she harbors a secret and the secret is that the house is filled with evil spirits referred to as them mm-hmm. as the title of the album uh that's why the name is in parenthesis the title of the album's in uh is in what uh quotations quotes, yeah <laughs> uh, yeah quotes uh and they are summoned by this uh, this like teapot that the grandma uses a spell where she drains the life from uh, the the narrator's mother, the narrator being King, King Diamond, of course. Right. Uh, of course. And uh, apparently, uh, bef- to, before we get into the whole story, apparently, I mean, I'm not 100% sure, I'm no expert, but uh, apparently this is kind of inspired loosely by King's relationship with his own grandmother growing up with his own grandmother who was struggling with her own mental health issues and mm. she uh, led her to be somewhat abusive so it, mm. it it inspired king to write this uh this uh concept album so grandma summons the spirits drinks blood from uh and steals like the vitality from mom puts her under a spell um uh, this goes on for a few nights she kind of pulls king into the this whole like uh, web of spells and magic because he's a little kid. He finds it fascinating and he's also, I think, kind of under the magical spell himself, under the power mm-hmm. of that. Then, of course, eventually, before Mother dies, uh, the whole thing, the whole situation is discovered by Missy, his sister, who freaks out, doesn't like what's going on. She shatters the teapot. Them don't like that at all and they decide they have to get rid of her. So they uh, chop her up with an axe and then burn her up or burn her body in the fireplace. Uh, King goes outside uh, because he's obviously horrified by the death of his sister. Uh, He realized when he's outside that their power is less when it's outside. Uh, But he pretends that he's still under their power and he goes back to grandma and grandma says, hey, take me outside. I want to see the moonlight. He's like, sure thing. Grandma takes her outside. 
bites her in the neck and kills her, runs off, comes back. The cops are there. Things don't look good for King because there's a dead grandma. Missy's nowhere to be found. And King has like blood on his face. So they uh, they take him away. End of story. Uh, to be well, continued, obviously, because well, I was this gonna is say, part one. <laughs> well, and it also has, but there is this sort of recursive element to it because at the end he returns to the house and coming home. Yeah, 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 older, yeah. He escapes from yeah. He escapes yeah. from the uh, the asylum. Yeah, yeah. Which and is, it's all still you know, going is, on. Grandma's still alive, and it's all still like cooking for some some strange reason. It seems to me. Grandma is the question mark is she alive or is she like a spirit that's the question that's the question uh and then and the whole uh and then this is carried on into even stranger directions in the follow-up album conspiracy that'll come on on a later episode we'll talk about (laughs) we'll do the follow-up exactly we'll keep it rolling (laughs) yeah uh so i guess the i mean it, it is a very but like fully realized story, it's not hard to follow on the album, which can be tricky with these sorts no. of things in terms of in terms of concept. And I I think the idea that it's, you know, allegorical to his own relationship with his grandmother probably made that pretty easy to to do to sort of yes. be very clearly said. And when like having the mother being, you know, drained of all her energy being in real life, you mm-hmm. know, a metaphor for the you know the way that I'm sure the mother was drained after having to handle her own mother. I mean, that would be sure pretty good one-to-one and also and also king diamond does the voices for every character he right. really shows off his range he yeah. is ma- like he is his is a voice that is decidedly an acquired taste he hits those falsettos he uh mm-hmm. you know he he can do the growls he does he kind of does all the voices i would not be shocked i haven't actually double checked but i wouldn't be shocked if every single one of the like ghost voices was also king diamond uh recorded individually <laughs> um, tracked and, and, and looped yeah and one of the interesting things about this record is that uh you know less than a year before he they released abigail and that was uh and in between they lost one of the lead guitarists who he had been working with since the Merciful Fate days. Uh, Michael Denner left. Uh, so it was, they brought in a new guitarist and all the songs were written by King and uh, and other guitarist, Andy LaRock, who rules. I find it to be a really fascinating album. Uh, he does these story albums that are fairly easy to follow. I'm like, I'm a huge fan of heavy metal story concept albums. Um, and his are, I mean, I think what helps is that his are in many ways fairly simple. It's like mm-hmm. he has like a like a Tales from the Crypt level story and he tells it over the course of a whole album. You don't have too many characters. You don't mm-hmm. have too many different plot beats. Uh, you don't have too many light motifs. <laughs> just a couple. It's pre- Yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah, just a few. And it's only, I mean, in this case, only one location, which, you know, would sound weird yes. for some, but like, if you don't have to keep track of where everybody is, it's much easier. Oh, they're just in the house. Like, it's very easy to follow. Yes, they're yeah. just in the house. Yeah. Now, one of the additional things is having seen King Diamond perform both uh, once oh, wow. uh, live by, you know, myself, but also, uh, you know, uh, I've seen a couple of live videos, including uh, to prep for this, where did I put it? Uh, oh, yeah, I to prep for this, of course, I picked up the Songs from the Dead oh. double DVD disc, Jeez, uh, right. which, yeah, it really like it really highlights the theatricality of the whole production because, you know, he has he has at least one backup dancer. He performs as well. 
Uh, you know, he has a backup dancer in like a grandma costume that he wheels out onto stage. It's great. Uh, and uh, he's an older guy now, but his voice like his voice is still pretty good. Uh, he, like he gave up smoking and drinking not that long ago. So he can he can still hit a lot. Uh, he had like a, I think he had a heart attack and he like quit mm. drinking, quit smoking. And his voice recovered quite a bit. Uh, he still he does have a. Uh, he does have a backup vocalist, though, who now mm. like helps him, you know, who sure. can help him hit those falsettos. Sure. Uh, but yeah, the the uh, the stage show is a big part of seeing a King Diamond show because it's usually like multi-tiered. There's stairs like it does look like a like a theatrical production. Sure. I, I did. I mean, obviously, Google around what the, what the gentleman looks like. Uh, it's quite a look. He's a lot of look as and you would as you would expect. Uh, but then seeing some of the, like you say, those live pictures, like it is a real, I, I was impressed by actually, like it's that kind of heavy metal. It's the, it's the theatrical, yes. you know, very, very performance forward. Um, lots. Of, and like you say, there may not be not a lot of light motifs in the, in the, um, uh, in the music, but there are definitely themes and the uh, skull, the, the bones and across mm -hmm. and pentagrams. And I even love on mm -hmm. the album. And, and you could tell me if this is, something that's with all king diamond out in the king diamond logo they had seem to have like a spinal column and uh and hip bones over the n in diamond am i am i looking at that yeah correct? yeah 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 that's oh, okay. that's there. the that's the logo pretty, yeah if you're watching the video there, yeah it's right great well oh, yeah that's isn't that actually to be honest isn't that like a church of satan symbol is it i think I, it might I know, be i, think I, it I might know be. very little I about did, church of satan yeah it does have a scary bat flo flying above, which is awesome. I'm sure. I'm like a huge sucker for heavy metal bands who include as much like extra crap in there. You know, that's like one to me. That's one step beyond the bands that just have completely unintelligible logos. Uh, I like if a logo like uh, my number one favorite logo of all time is the death metal band uh, Death from Florida. And their original logo, there's like a skull, there's like uh, like a scythe that's like dripping blood. It just rules. Everything rules. And then like each <laughs> trimmed it down over time as it became a little more progressive. But the original right. logo is just so awesome. So I'm interested that you you were not a heavy metal kid uh, growing up only because I know you love horror movies and especially uh -huh. you know it the, the, seems like the more b horror the the better from your sort of aesthetic standpoint and it, it was terms of like in meaning the more like you like the gross horror movies you like the the, the, the less thrillers and this at least what you talk about on the flop house from you know castle freak and 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 so yeah yeah i like i like gross stuff yeah, yeah i like yeah. i like it all and i like sloppy sloppy gross horror movies so what, because this is such a natural outgrowth of that to me in terms of the mm -hmm. aesthetic with the stage show and all that, it just, it surprised me to hear that this, like, what were you, what were you listening to when you were, when you were watching those movies as a, as a kid? I mean, as a kid, I feel like, uh, I don't know. I was listening to like cool kid music. So like college mm -hmm. rock and, uh, and then, uh, and like grunge and, but mm. I was always like drawn more to the heavier side of it. So you're like Alice in Chains, your mm -hmm. sound gardens. Okay. Uh, and then, but then from there I started getting into like, you know, more punk. And then uh, I got, I went through a big like industrial phase. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> uh, which, which I think, I think kind of spiraled into uh eventually led to more heavy metal coming into my diet and sure. then realizing i'm like who am i kidding uh uh, uh you know 
why don't I embrace this thing I that I love and mm-hmm. uh yeah so that's just go full tilt. uh and yeah and that's that's me now I am full tilt <laughs> all the way over and you mentioned that once you got into it you were sort of dug into the rest of the, like the catalog and once you get into are you a completist in that way with media do you like find a band and then devour their whole discography and then sort of you know find more things connected to that and that's how you sort of absorb your your music oh absolutely like i'm a i'm a huge nerd for that and that's part of why i get nervous about like branching out because mm-hmm. i know that that's going to lead uh i think one of the big things that actually led me to get deeper into it is that around when i turned 30 a lot of the things that I did for fun, a lot of my hobbies, I got I got to do less often. So I got to like mm. play role-playing games less often or like war games or board games or vi- even video games. Like I just had less time for those things. But when it came to like researching heavy metal and like listening to heavy metal, I had plenty of time for that. I didn't need other people for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the it also coincided with like, Right around that time, it was like just before Bandcamp started. And then when Bandcamp started, it made it so easy to get a hold of like obscure current stuff mm-hmm. that I was able to like, like, I don't know, like I buy a ton of new music, which is I, I feel like not a lot of 43 year olds are like, yeah, I buy a ton of new music. Yeah. Speaking as a 43 year old, no, I do not buy a ton of new music, but that's like, that's oh, great. Man. Yeah, that's... that's such a great. Uh, it's a, it's really because I'm exactly the same way when it comes to my music. I think I've been ruined by growing up and being when I was very little uh, introduced to the Beatles by my dad in conjunction with uh-huh. the Beatles documentary, The Complete Beatles. So it had the story behind the whole band and the album. And then I got really into matching the albums with the story. And then every time I came to a new artist, I would be like, oh yeah, I got to get like all these albums and then find out like, what's the what's the evolution? What's the story? What's the arc behind this band? And sometimes it just doesn't exist. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, the yeah. sort of thing you just find like, no, no oh, of course like, not. I, yeah. I just... I just don't like this. Like, or I like that album, but I don't like that album. And I have a lot of trouble with that dissonance when I absorb, I find a new artist to listen to. It's a real problem for me. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the ones I'm with you and I feel Mm -hmm. like the, the bands that I I really like latch onto are the ones that have a bit of that, like arc or story, like the Mm -hmm. aforementioned band death. One of the things that's so fascinating is the background behind the band behind like the lead guy and how like he kept changing his uh you know he, his supporting players over time and his his work has such a uh, has such a clear arc of like adding more and more progressive elements to the point that like he his later albums he's like having to basically take like to like death metalify progressive metal albums because of the contract he's under he's having to like turn albums that he was planning on doing something more like not necessarily lighter but more like complicated uh, and make it a little bit like harsher just so that he sure. can fulfill the bounds of a contract, but it's still, you know, it also works and it's the same sort of thing. Sure. Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, now, did you find that after doing that with the beat, like as somebody who doesn't have a connection, much of a connection to the Beatles, mm. my, my dad introduced me to like Steely Dan, uh, oh, okay. the, uh, <laughs> but like, <laughs> they're still kicking and winning. I, I know, that works. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, one of them is. <laughs> well, one of them, that's true, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, 
Now, I find that a lot of people who have a connection with the Beatles have a connection with the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Now, does that mean that, like, from everything else, you're like, every other band disappoints me? It's like when the first animated movie I ever saw was, or, like, first anime movie was Akira, and thus uh, everything else was a bummer. <laughs> no, I don't find that. I did when I was in high school, I will say. I was, like, yeah. deep in in the paint on the Beatles. But, like, I, a funny thing happened to me sometime, actually, like my, my late 20s or early 30s, I had absorbed so much Beatles material, like including all the solo albums and all these bootlegs that I suddenly had access to when Napster started to became a thing. And I just absorbed so much of it. And I was, I had this sort of realization. Real like, quick. This stuff- I'm, I, I'm reporting you to the FBI. They're uh, coming to you for <laughs> oh, no. using Napster. The sting. Oh, Gosh, what a La- little- Lars Ulrich. Yeah. Lars Ulrich is leading them. That's right. It's on his way. <laughs> I had to explain that to my, my son loves to listen to weird Al. And we heard don't download this song the other day. And he said, who's Lars. Ulrich? <laughs> and I was like, okay, hang on. Let me. Gotta walk oh, you. Like, so yeah. he's kind of a good drummer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't even come to the drummer part. I was like, well, he's in this band. I was, oh, that was wow. so funny. It was so funny. We, had to walk. we were driving to school. He didn't really want to know was always the problem. He asked me questions like that about cultural references. You're like, like well, well, sit back. Son. Back, in the day when, back in the day when Metallica was opening for Raven, he used to have to make the drummer for Raven tune his drums for him because he didn't know how to do it. <laughs> and it sounds right, like, shut up, leave me alone. <laughs> Whatever. Right. The jokes are missing jokes in this song. Uh, but so... I absorbed so much of it that I sort of realized like this stuff is magical, but they're just a bunch of guys like making music. They were just really, really good at it. And also I began to realize the important something. This is actually something. And I wonder what you think about this as well. The um, when I was out in LA making uh, web content and I kind of realized that like, this is a weird time to be making stuff. And I had come along at a weird time and I realized like, Oh, the Beatles came along at the perfect time for them. And so, so much of it was luck that they just happened to meet the right people and be in the right space to make the right music and their stuff just took off. And it was really good on top of all that. And so it gave me this really long lens of being like, I mean, so much of it is the time period and luck and meets talent that like, I, you have to try to meet bands where they were. And that's always what I try to be like, which is another part of the research for me. It's like, okay, when this album came out, like what else was going on? What were they working with? What was, in the zeitgeist and like, where does it come from? And then you can kind of be like, Oh, this was, you know, it's, it's not Sgt. Pepper, but it's really good. And it's good on its own different merits is sort of how I feel about, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. I I think that's pretty interesting. The, yeah. I mean, I mean, with that, in that lens, if we look at the album we're talking about now, then Mm -hmm. Viking diamond, it came out in 1988 and 1986, like, like between 1984 and like, 84 to 87 is like the sweetest spot of heavy metal. Like for mm. like 80s heavy metal, you're not going to find like all your favorite 80s heavy metal records came out in those years. And 88 is a little late, but not really. Like it's still, we're still talking about like the peak period of Iron Maiden is is going on. Metallica's kicking. Like everybody's crushing out these records. Mm. Heavy metal's a big deal. And like death metal is like just about starting. So like, you have your classic heavy metal, you got your thrash metal still rocking. And then like, then this, the heavier stuff is like right on the way. Uh, and so, yeah. And it like, 
heavy metal can be so many different things. It can be this like super operatic or very theatrical, like what we're talking about. It can be super aggressive. It can be super like angry. It can be, you know, very punk focused. It could be something like grindcore, uh, and, or it could spiral off into black metal as it did, uh, in history shortly after this period. Uh, and we get the, the nuttier stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know, like in, like it was such a like I could only imagine like going into a record store at this time and looking at all the op- like there were so many good records coming out. Uh, yeah, it's it's just fa- it's fascinating and it it feels like there's so much good music coming out now, but it doesn't have the same like concentration. You know, I mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, it's the but is that because in that period. It, heavy metal is still sort of on the outskirts on the ascension like is that the culturally or is it is it becoming more i mean for me heavy metal and this is as in like totally knowing nothing about it but when you say like what was the rise of heavy metal to me like to me heavy metal becomes mainstream with metallica's black album like that's the album where like i knew everybody had that you know and everybody was sort of knew what that was but that's like 80 which is only right 80 or no 90, yeah. uh yeah no, yeah yeah, yeah 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 it's right around yeah. there no you're right you're right that okay. but that's like and that's that's the peak that's like the peak okay. of the wave no one gets gotcha no one no one beats that nobody gets mm. bigger than that album okay. the like there was a chance pantera was going to be like the next metallica but they're not going to do it like they get close but mm-hmm. n- they don't do it and then, like, then we get our new metal and rap metal and stuff like that. And arguably, Sorry. less said about that, the better. I mean, last time I was getting <laughs> tattooed, they were playing Disturbed the whole time. And oh, gosh. I was just like, is this is this coming back? Like, what's going on? Stop it. <laughs> well, the 90s fashions are definitely back. So maybe they were cresting into the oh, early 2000s. No. And all. Yeah, right. It's not going to. I don't know uh it'd be, it's entirely possible but so like it's in that so so for so from from a sort of mainstream standpoint the the in the early 80s we're talking or the mid 80s when you're talking about the sort of golden age of for those records it's on the ascension it's it's culturally like it's getting yeah. more popular it's getting more resources people are putting like signing more band the the records it's kind of like you say it's building so that when it hits 90 it's sort of yeah well that's and, and crest the wave yeah okay yeah, so all these like all these good albums keep coming out. And there is like there is a pressure to like outperform. Like there's like mm. a little bit of competitiveness, and there is. I mean, there are scenes like the Bay Area scene, the mm. like the Florida scene, uh, all these bands out of England, <laughs> uh, and then Europe and whatnot. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty fascinating to me, and it's also like we're talking about a band here from uh from denmark yeah mainly. I was say they're danish think, yeah right yeah i think andy i think andy larock's swedish the guitarist mm-hmm. but uh but like and they all their songs are in english you know mm-hmm. uh and i think all things considered still yeah you know it's pretty clear no, like, i think it, I it's pretty follow. good i yeah you know some dubious and, rhymes and, here and there maybe but rhyming isn't the important part it it, it uh exactly I, I, yeah. And the the language uh, can be hokey at times, but I feel like it all serves the like mm-hmm. the like schlocky horror vibe that they're going for, the like midnight yeah. movie vibe. Like the, there's one of my favorite lines in uh, I think it's uh, what's what's the uh, 
Twilight Symphony near the, right at the mm-hmm. end when yeah. uh, when he confronts uh, when he confronts the uh, his uh, therapist Doctor Landau <laughs> who says are you uh, he's like he says are you mad or just insane. the same thing buddy <laughs> not, Maybe missing i don't know if either of those are yeah i don't know if either of those are uh are a technical diagnosis right. but i appreciate the say. effort it's like the simpsons episode if you have this stamp on your hand you're in sync <laughs> yeah that's how we know that you know yeah i was really imp- i will say so knowing nothing about heavy metal and especially coming into something like you say that is danish heavy metal i was a little yeah. unsure of my footing but what this really reminded me of in in several moments uh, musically was queen i felt a lot of of like late 70s queen influence in this especially in the song t which has a very kind of general british feel to it anyway and then gets into this very choral like lots of vocals thing intensity to it that really i was like oh that's freddie mercury like that's 100 percent what those guys are doing and of course queen is huge in Europe, you know, it's larger in England and Europe than it uh-huh. ever was in the United States. And so it's a very, and they could be, I mean, they were considered pretty heavy in their, in their day, obviously. And some of their stuff. Yeah. And I'm sure it's a huge metal. influence. Mm-hmm. It certainly but feels it was, like I'm that. sure there was such a huge influence for those guys. Like the, because like Queen was one of those bands that like pushed the boundaries of mm-hmm. what a rock band can do. Um, and like to have those, I feel like, I would not be surprised if if there were heavy metal bands out there who were like, we want to be the queen of heavy metal. Mm -hmm. In this case, the king of heavy metal. The king King of heavy metal. So so King Diamond is the guy, but King Diamond is also the the guy, right? Like the, yeah. So, so what had happened was when merciful fate split up when, when, Uh due to creative differences with guitarist, uh, Hank Sherman, uh, King Diamond and Michael Denner and I think the drummer, I'm not sure, they split off and they decided to do their own thing. Um, and they decided because King Diamond was a, I mean, as the vocalist for Merciful Fate, he still did that whole same thing. Like did the full face makeup. He was oh, like wow. the, the the band leader and the, you know, the, the front man. Um, and they, uh, when they were securing a record deal, they 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 claimed that they were able to get a better deal by naming themselves after King Diamond, which is a known quantity. Mm-hmm. So like they it was easier to do that than to just come up with a band name with another name. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they weren't able to get as good of a record deal. So that's that's what they did. And the first record they released is King Diamond is is the is the only record they've released that is not a concept album. <laughs> it's just a regular oh. old heavy metal record. But then after that, they released Abigail stone cold classic about a ghost baby uh and then then we got them and then conspiracy and then uh the eye and from there on uh yeah it's great 
what is it about heavy metal and concept albums that's so like you say like you said you, earlier you said i like heavy metal concept albums for, me, that it's a full genre. for the world well, what, so first what why what do you think it is that draws heavy metal to concept albums and then what do you love about it i would say would be the two questions i mean i think i think so much of heavy metal is not all because it's it's heavy metal is a huge thing but i think a lot of heavy metal is tied in with like fantasy so like there's a huge fantasy element whether it's the fantasy like the power fantasy of the band members uh or it's or it's the like or like the way death metal like somebody like cannibal corpse plays on the fantasy the horror fantasy of you know murdering everybody um but so there's like a fantastical element to it. Like these guys don't actually, aren't actually going to go out and kill people, but there's like a fantasy of it. Um, and I think, uh, I mean, I think a lot of these guys like honestly are just huge nerds. So like they, they like, they like fantasy stories. They like storytelling. Uh, they're like, they're like into role-playing games and crap. Like, they dress scary because that's like a weird armor. It's like dudes that have a ton of tattoos are secretly big wimps because they just uh, they get that as like an armor to protect themselves. So <laughs> I, th I think I think that's part of it. And for me, the reason I like it is because, again, I'm a huge nerd. So like I, I, I was an English major. I love stories and storytelling. I love role playing games. Um, and I love. Yeah, I mean, I like. Like, I love just the, like, the deep nerdy dive of something where it's like, oh, this thing operates on multiple levels. Like, this mm. this song operates as a rock song, but it also has, there's a story to it. And guess what? It's part of multiple songs that are all part of a larger story. Like, I'm, that's catnip for me. I was really impressed. It's an interesting word to use, but, like, listening to this a couple times when you hear the phrase heavy metal concept album, a number of, especially Danish heavy metal concept album, a number of thoughts might mm -hmm, pop into yeah. to your head. But one thing I was impressed by was the restraint of this album. Like when we get to the song, yes. them, like if this is a, an mm -hmm. American, whatever album, or even a musical it's called, and this, the title song, them, I was expecting a song about them. Like this is going to be a huge, this is the single, this is the number, this is the moment. Yeah, And it's a really scary quiet little like barely any words if there are lyrics spoken like if there's any it's just you know it's like a minute two minutes long and it really sets you up for what happens next in twilight symphony yeah in such a very interesting way and i was really like oh man that's fascinating Yeah, the well, it is like it is that like calm before the big closing number, mm. and I think uh, the, I th I mean I think in general this album shows a fair amount of restraint, but the uh, <laughs> yeah, like I think he's I think he's pretty clever. They're pretty clever about the the pacing. Like they, I wouldn't be surprised if these guys were theater nerds, mm -hmm. um, because there is a feeling of like of how they should pace this for the, for the story. Even like, again, to mention the previous album, Abigail, 
like the Black Horseman's this huge big number that kind of ties it all together and it's right at the end and the whole thing comes crashing down. And I feel like Twilight Symphony is the same thing. Like you have a you have these big you have a big soaring chorus, um, and that's all that's all like it all is hits harder because you had this like quiet moment because the like the story had kind of crescendoed up till then. Like you know Missy Missy had died, King had killed his grandma and run off into the woods, uh, and you're like, where does it go from there? And so you need that like that brief moment before you wrap the whole thing up, and it's great. It, it, but it's such a rare thing to find in, I mean, obviously this isn't their first concept mm. album, but it, it's just a rare thing to find in a band to me. Like, especially like in, maybe yeah. this is just a, 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 a side effect of like us British concept albums that tend to be a collection of songs loosely strung together by a narrative. But like, even when they do something like, like American idiot, which has a pretty mm-hmm. good thematic connection there isn't that sense of storytelling and like you say of calm and of moving when they adapted it to the stage they added a lot of different songs to it and moved things yeah. around so that it would actually flow like a like a, a like a piece of theater whereas this i feel like you could you know it's short but you could toss this up on a stage musically yep. it would kind of run it would absolutely make would make sense yeah, and that's and the stage production part of it works works well. The mm-hmm. it's actually it's a really interesting thing because I like to compare to compare this to arguably one of the uh, the most famous heavy metal story based concept records of all time, Blind Guardians, uh, Twilight and Middle Earth, uh, which is basically like the Silmarillion. I can't remember, uh, but it's <laughs> you know it's Blind Guardian telling some Lord of the Rings stuff. Uh, and it's great. It fuck it rocks from start to finish. It's got some huge numbers, um, and it's just it's just a solid like it. It is a career defining record, and it is arguably the best power metal record of all time. I could see anyone making that argument. Um, but then from there, I feel like that band struggled because uh, I think some of the members were like, "I'm sick of this. Uh, this is too much." And they they kept pushing in a direction of more and more. So they they lost the dynamics and it just became all to me. It's a little too much all excess. Their uh, their night at the opera album, clearly a reference to Queen. Uh, They it's like every single song they're trying to make it to be that big closing number. And it ends up making the whole album feel flatter than it should um, because they lose that dynamic. Um, which Twilight and Middle Earth might not have the best uh, the flow of a story, but at least it has the the dynamics that you're looking for. And King Diamond seems to like work with it, like they they seem to have gotten it. Yeah, it it really felt like you really have to have that like you know peek and back off or whatever you want to call it, because otherwise you, there's nowhere to go. There's no like the audience has has no like you say when you have the quietness of them before the big finale it does mm-hmm. really set you up especially and i i don't know if it's an intentional but it really worked on me because again i was expecting them to be this huge crescendo yeah and when it absolutely yeah. wasn't it really just sort of re- like oh okay and i listened very closely waiting for it to kick off and then it does but it's the yeah. next it's the next song and that really got me listening very closely to that and also like you go back to the very start of the record like the start of the record starts mm. with like a quiet uh kind mm-hmm. of similar bit uh, quite a similar intro.
But then that first song, like, that's got to be the, 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 like, guitar riff, the first guitar riff in Welcome Home is this great hook. Like, it gets you sucked into the record, and you are like, I'm 100% into this thing. Um, and you kind of, with, like, a heavy metal concept record, you need that. You need, like, you need somebody to be like, I want to, I want to love this album so much or this first song that I'm going to listen to the rest of this record. I want to know what, like, I want to know what is up. Why is this kid singing to his grandma? Uh, (laughs) And it really helps that you have this, like, you have this killer riff that like is going to be banging around your head for a couple of days. Is heavy metal sort of like, or at least this kind of heavy metal less mm-hmm, sure. sing- singles worried than sort of English American heavy metal would have been. I wonder if that's why, because you know, that's sort of one of the problems ends up with like, if you have a band that's always trying to write singles, uh-huh. then you put it together in a concept album. You're not going to quite get these ebbs and flows and, and quieter moments as much. Um, so I wonder if it's because this sort of like, not just Danish, but like European or even underground heavy metal at the point would have not really worried about singles. Cause they wasn't going to get a ton of radio play any at least not mainstream radio play anyway yeah i mean it's weird because this album came out in like the peak time where like these thrash bands were really focusing on getting like they were getting radio play they were getting Mm. like video play on mtv um so it it feels a little bit like an outlier i think as time has gone on heavy metal has become a thing that like so rarely gets uh any kind of radio play that like uh, very few bands make any effort toward uh, toward that, like toward, toward trying to create songs that are like that length. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure, again, there's outliers, there's popular bands that I don't care about that. Uh, but like, I think in general, it's more of an album based thing. And uh, especially when you go further away from the more palatable stuff and you start getting into the harsher, more extreme heavy metal, like no, they're never they're not trying to make like they're not trying to make like a hit single. They're trying to make Mm -hmm. like a banger of a record. That's going to get people to come to their shows and get in the pit and mess each other up and buy t-shirts and stuff. So it is kind of like, again, would they go on the road and perform this album? Like in, in almost in its entirety uh, right afterwards or was it? So that's, that's the thing. Like I, I don't know if they would do the whole album in its entirety, but I know so that that that's something I'm not a hundred percent sure of. I know that mm-hmm. they have toured on albums, so they have toured like did an Abigail tour where they just played Abigail front to back, and then mm-hmm. you know they'd finish up with a couple of other hits. Um, and I wouldn't have been surprised that when this record came out, they because they didn't have as deep of a catalog back then. So mm-hmm. I could see them, I could see them touring on just them. And then uh, splashing in a couple of uh, couple of tunes off of uh, the the first two records, because they wouldn't have been playing like Merciful Fate stuff. I'd imagine if that band wasn't like I don't. I don't. Band. At the yeah. time, I don't think they were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now uh, they they, probably they could have, right? but I think it's yeah. Yeah. I mean, these guys are old. They don't care. <laughs> like right. <laughs> uh, and and they're finally like and and they're cool again. They're like. King mm. still like tours with Merciful Fate every once in a while. Not often. Mm. They're like sure. they're basically like reunion shows where they play at like Psycho Las Vegas or something. Sure. Well, it takes it's fun. That's a funny aspect of bands to me is always the like not playing the hits or not playing what you're famous for when you've changed 
bands. Like it took, it's so funny to me that it took, speaking of the Beatles, it took Paul McCartney from like, to like 1975, I think, or 76 before he started playing Beatles songs on the road, just in general. He was always yeah. playing wing stuff, you know, and part of that is an insistence of, I think, trying to break away from the old thing. But it's also got to yeah. be weird, you know, as a, to perform the song you played with these guys over and over and over again, to then play it like with these guys. It's just got to be a totally different experience, no matter how much the audience wants it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure playing older stuff can be painful and weird. And mm-hmm. I mean, like if I were to do a flop house show with two guys that aren't Dan and Elliot, oh, what would it feel like? <laughs> We're like the Beatles of bad movie podcasters. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I mean, it would be it would be a totally different. But it's, it's funny thing in podcasts. You think of like you guys can't play the hits, so like there's no like you know do Flophouse Cat. Like it's not that's not how what people say when they come to the live shows. You got to do. A uh, I don't party. know. Sometimes people do are like, can you do? Can, they're like, do a classic bit. I'm like, I forgot. I was so drunk when I did that the first time. Just like Dev Leopard. <laughs> Yeah, well, maybe with the minis now you can you can tot out you know two boy talking to with two dudes tonight. All right, sometimes live on stage that <laughs> yeah, might yeah. work. That's a good yeah. playing the hit. Drop a but live, yeah, live peach pit. I always think it's fun, it, but it, it's it, that that relationship that artists have with their material like that is always so interesting to me because I I think and it's actually, I think it was on your fellow Maximum Fun podcaster uh, uh, Griffin McElroy tells a story where I think it was him, they went to see, um, oh man, I forgot his name, Gordon Lightfoot. And he uh-huh. announced at the beginning of the show, he would not be performing the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. And like 15% of the audience just got up and <laughs> just walked out. Wow. And it, yeah. And it's just one of those, like, I mean, I guess good for him for telling them in advance so they wouldn't get grumpy about it. But like, that's a solo artist with a huge hit. And, uh-huh. you know, he doesn't want to do that song anymore. So I can't imagine what it's like to be a, yeah. in a band or in a different band. And if they're still yelling, you know, play whatever, it's just such an odd experience when, especially when it's a hit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I also, I also think it's weird to go see an artist. And if they're like, I'm not going to play one specific song, be like, right. okay, deuces, I'm out. <laughs> that is very weird. Like That, that seems, that seems a little do. bit wild. Cause it's like, yeah, how much do you spend on tickets just to see one song live? Right. And like, that is a, that's not a, it is a very not, long song in their defense, but yeah, no, no shade <laughs> to that song. Yeah. But like, I think I can count on one hand, the amount of songs that I would pay to see the original actually. Yeah. I mean, let me, that's actually a really good yeah, question. What that is what, a good question. Yeah. What songs would I be willing to pay stadium ticket price to see right. the original artist play uh that song is not on there no most most of them are songs by people that are dead now <laughs> well that'd be uh, the thing if they're coming back from the dead to do that's a show a I'll thing. Think, you know yeah you gotta yeah then it, that's definitely a king diamond album right there right they... <laughs> i don't need Ghosts to come back that. from the I'll dead pay. to sing songs yeah. right i'll pay full oh, price man. to see some of those hits uh I mean, it is funny. I also think of the like, I get why he doesn't want to perform Record the Edmund Fitzgerald because it is just, there's no, cor- it's just a loop. It's just verse after verse. It can't yep. be a fun song to sing. But at the same time, man, like, no, you know, yeah, that's, that's an, a, a wild, skip a couple verses. No one will notice. Like, just turn it, turn it, take, yeah, it, take a verse. Turn it, yeah, scat like, it up. Yeah, right. make it up. <laughs> 
put a breakdown in the middle add a drum solo something yeah, you know, yeah. keep it keep it that's what neil, that's what neil diamond would do is all i'm saying neil diamond <laughs> would mix it up he... go out and perform jonathan livingston seagull for all the uh <laughs> all the, the faithful out there oh man yeah what is your favorite song do you think on them oh uh i mean the i mean i'm pretty simple so I mean, the ones that I go back to the most are either Welcome Home or Twilight Symphony. I think they're mm. like, I, I'm a sucker for a big, uh, either a big hook or a big like soaring conclusion. Um, but I think, I mean, I think, I think T is probably the song that like holds the whole thing together. Like that's the, mm. like Welcome Home is a great, like that's the song that draws you in. And then T is what you're like, okay, I'm sticking around. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm, that so that's, that's where I would fall. Yeah, that's I really felt that about T. Like that was that was a very it was the first song where I picked up the phone. I went, what is this one called? I have to like I wrote that down to talk to you about it because I was yeah. really like that really got my attention. Um, and again, speaks of we were talking about before, where you have like, you know, Welcome Home and the Invisible Guests have a very specific kind of aesthetic. And then T kind mm-hmm. of breaks it for a second and yeah. draws you into the actual story which like you mentioned all those plot points it's really funny how they kind of come one after another with like t mother's getting weaker bye bye missy like they come in really fast mm-hmm. this in that part of the yeah. story it kicks off really good which is again great like you, it doesn't mess around <laughs> there's not yeah. like not too many characters you don't have too many points of view right. yeah sometimes like there was a uh man what was it they uh there's this Canadian power metal band unleash the archers who have been doing a couple of concept records lately. And they're a lot of fun. They've gotten more theatrical as they've gone on, but like they start having like what, like one song is from the hero's perspective. The next is from the villains. And I'm like, Oh, got to keep track of all this stuff. <laughs> well, it, it's, but it's so funny because it does when you have nothing else to hold on to, not even different voices. Usually, you yeah. know, it's like, like listen to, fans out there who are listening who like the musical Tommy sometime go back and listen to the concept album for Tommy and just try to figure out like who's who's talking where are we who's singing whose point of view is this it's not some songs it's crystal clear and in other songs it's just sort of like I guess there's a a narrator or a sort of third person like figure here and oh now we're in the song and Roger Daltrey's yelling at himself like it's very it's very, and he's not doing voices like you say, like King Diamond is like very clearly created character voices for all of these different mm-hmm, characters, yep. and really like went out of his way. Like you never get lost in this album about who's talking to who. No, and it's only four people. It's so fairly it's really simple. Yeah, yeah, pretty easy to keep track of everybody. And but greatly appreciated. Again, like it really it yeah. it drew me in and really made me go. And I did so. I did buy this album to talk to you. Talk about not buying new music. And I did also oh, buy. Oh, congrats! I bought Abigail. I haven't listened to it yet, but I will also then buy the um. What was the sequel? Cons- Conspiracy, Conspiracy is the follow. I will buy that as well. Yeah. yeah. Also, also um, great. Enjoying. I'm, I did not. I mean, I'll be totally honest. Did not expect to enjoy this as much as I did. I was really excited to listen to it, but I thought this will be fun. Yeah. We'll veer off, you know, veer off the usual and come to something. And I was really like, I always listen to these albums three times before I talk to the guest. And this was an excited like, okay, pop that one right back on after the first listen. Let's get. Yeah, right let's do it. Spin it up. I yeah, really, let's, let's listen yeah. to those ghosts again. And also, not to yeah, be not to be uh, undervalued. Uh, released on an LP, obviously. So forty-five minutes long, fantastic. Love, love that all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Easy peasy. Yeah, it's like it's. 
having I listened to I listened to this a couple more a uh, couple of times to refresh my memory on it. Uh, yeah, and it was fun how like I could listen to the whole thing while making dinner easy, like mm-hmm. no problems. Like I get through it easy peasy. Uh, and yeah, it's uh, it's there's something. It it tells a straightforward story that has not a ton of twists and turns, but enough of an arc that it's going to keep you involved. I like, and I I hadn't really thought about it before, but like I had said earlier that like it's like a Tales from the Crypt story, and like that's mm. it. Like it's like a it's a tiny little short horror story, uh, and it's fun. Yeah, and it, it's a ton, of uh, and it can and it can be translated to a, a stage show where you have a dancer in a grandma mask in a wheelchair being pushed around. <laughs> it sounds like dark pink Floyd is basically what you're sort of like. It you know. is. <laughs> I feel like King diamond would appreciate that. There you go. That King works. diamond, um, King diamond, a man whose stage makeup he played, he puts over his mustache. I got it. Like that's oh, commitment to your craft. Wow. Cesar Romero style. I like that. That, that yeah, is commitment. commitment to either your craft or your stash. I can't tell which that makes actually now though, looking at this picture of him that I've had up that, that I can see that, that I can see his mustache through that, through that makeup. Good. Okay. Yeah. Nicely he's done, awesome. Man. <laughs> he's, he's got an aesthetic. There's no, there's no question about that. Yeah, he's awesome. Uh, yeah. He's great. Stuart, thank you so much. This was so great to to talk to you. So people can find you uh, on. The, you're not still doing the Def Leppard uh, podcast, is that is that correct? No, so we're on we're on permanent hiatus. On yeah, until Def Leppard's party. Yeah, um, uh, I feel like Def Leppard will release a couple more records and then maybe we'll and then get you'll back to it. Who spin knows? it back uh, up again. But so every Saturday, people can uh, find you on the Flop House. Yeah, the Flop House, a long-running uh, bad movie podcast where me and Dan Elliott talk about uh, watch a bad movie, then we talk about it. Uh, we uh, we just recently celebrated our 400th uh, mainline episode release, which yeah. is wild. Uh, since we've been doing it since 2007, uh, and we are currently also uh, we are in the middle of a series of virtual live shows that we are selling tickets for and a season pass uh, that we call Flop TV, which are like kind of shorter live shows. Uh, it's an hour long show that we try and keep to an hour where we talk about some kind of classic bad movies that we never really looked at. We've talked about Cool World. We just talked about Hot Dog the movie and Hamburger the Motion Picture. Uh, and we got some fun ones coming up, like Ballistic X versus Sever and Nuki, uh, yeah. which I'm I'm dreading. That's like my, that's <laughs> the albatross around my neck right now. Uh, but yeah, you can find all that stuff out if you go to the FlophousePodcast.com uh, or you know find us on Twitter. It's you know you're 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 computer literate. If you found this podcast, you can probably <laughs> yes, find you other could probably find the other one. There might be a link in the show notes. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> oh, lovely. Yes. I will highly recommend Flop TV. I've been enjoying the hell out of it. Oh, and thanks. The uh, yeah, I, I would say you don't have to watch the movies to enjoy the episodes. And in the case of Hot Dog, the movie, and Hamburger, the motion picture, I might have that backwards. Uh, don't watch the movies. I watch them both. Yeah, don't I do would it. recommend do against it. it. Yeah, don't <laughs> actively, actively a poor experience. They're free on YouTube. But actively, uh, a bad still experience. don't do it. Don't do it. Absolutely not. No, don't even put your time into those things. But Next month, no, you guys your are doing... time is more valuable. Next next month, you guys are doing over the top, right? We are doing over the top. That I highly recommend. Everyone needs to watch over the top. Over the top is a great, 
great bet. It's been it's Classic. been years since I've seen that one. As a kid, I was like, oh, oh no, this makes sense. He's a guy who drives around yeah. uh, arm wrestles people. Right. Absolutely. I saw that movie on HBO when I was, I don't know how old, and I was like, this movie rules. And then I saw it when I was in my 30s, and I went, this movie is insane, and I love it. Yeah. I absolutely love it. Yeah, it was yeah. Uh, a college buddy of mine used to talk about the movie Highlander as being like operating under like kid logic as well, where you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, as a grown up, I'll go to re- see wrestling events by myself. Right. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, yeah. go home to my home that also doubles as an antique shop. Like, that's not anybody's life. That's, that's how grown-ups live. That's the that's the right. That's yeah, that's what, they that's do, what grown-ups guess. do. Yeah, I don't. I guess I'm sure I wouldn't know as as a as a as a podcaster. I don't know what grown-ups do. Um, yeah, Steve, thank you so much. This was a blast. cast is produced and edited by me patrick flynn please rate and review the original cast on your podcatcher of choice it's the easiest way to help other listeners find the show go to bit.ly slash original cast store for original cast merchandise like t-shirts tote bags and more become a patron of the original cast at patreon.com slash original cast pod so you can listen to our bonus podcast the original cast at the movies on the socials we're at original cast pod Special thanks to our social media manager, Bethany Zalecki. Hi, Bethany. My thanks to Stuart Wellington for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. (laughs) 